Welcome to the Reminders of Grace podcast. The Reminders of Grace podcast exists to provide a reference for truth, promote a refocus on the gospel, and provoke a profound reminder of grace for our lives today. I am your host. My name is Derek, and I want to welcome you to this show. I am very much looking forward to this episode today. We have just crossed the halfway point for season one of the Reminders of Grace podcast. And honestly, it's been a journey. It's been overwhelming at times, yet humbling and rewarding always. I've stressed and obsessed over content, over numbers, over reception, over direction. And if you've listened from the beginning or at any point in between, you should also know that I've striven to do the same with the truth, stressed and obsessed over the gospel, Jesus, and with the grace we've been given, along with the grace we need to give. I want to thank you for listening. Whether this is your first time joining us and you're just checking it out or you've been supporting from day one, thank you. I started this because I wanted a platform to use a gift that's been confirmed and affirmed in me and to then share a message that means so much to me. I started this with fear and excitement, with anxiety and anticipation, with hope and with doubts. And every single episode, I sit behind this microphone and feel all those exact same things. But they aren't bad things. They really aren't. To a degree, I think it's super normal to feel those things and to feel them in that tension. But the reality that I want to make sure that I never lose sight of is that Jesus is greater than all of it. And he, time and time again, has, does, and will work all of it and work through all of it in the way that only he can. One of the reasons that I am excited about this episode is because I think it's so needed, not just for us today, but for us to make sure we get right moving forward. For about 10 years, which I realize dates me quite a bit, I had the privileged honor of working with students of all ages, from being a preschool teacher to an elementary substitute to coaching and teaching middle school and high school and even leading junior high and high school students in a church setting. Now, years later, to see that those preschoolers are close to graduating from high school, those junior high students are in college, and many have graduated, um, and then there are some even that are about to get married even this year. It's one of those things you just look back on and think, I can't believe that I got to be a part of that. But in working with such a wide-ranging group of people, I think that one overwhelmingly dominant topic and question comes up. More than, where will I go to school? What will I study? What will my occupation be? Whom will I marry? Where will I live? All of these are incredible questions and very important. But without a doubt, the biggest one is about identity. And the question that will serve as the title for this episode is, who am I? Who am I? 
Because we exist in a time when identity is under attack in ways that I want to be very careful to explain. Identity has become a fluid, ever-changing, and evolving construct that many want to and have torn down and reconstructed. Identity has become something that has been misused and abused in order to gain control of a generation. Unless you think that I'm zeroing in on a specific philosophy or a political leaning, let me just place your mind at ease and assuredly tell you that that is not what this is about at all. Because this isn't new to America. This isn't new to 21st century life in a modern world. In fact, between 2,500 and 3,000 years ago, the exact same thing was put on display for us in the pages of the written word and was played out through a captive people group known as the Hebrews. A king named Nebuchadnezzar from the nation of Babylon overthrew Jerusalem and took its people captive. He separated the young men from everyone else. He took the ones that were well-educated and talented, and he placed them in service roles in his palace. It was a strategic move. It was one that most assuredly he had done before, even successfully, with other nations that he had conquered. Here was the goal. Build a legacy. And instead of relying on the forced change of an older generation, change the next one. This technique has been used by countless regimes, empires, and conquerors since then. What he believed to make this work was fivefold. Change their education. What the Hebrews would have been taught and what they would have learned was the history of their people and the history of their God. It would have been about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with the covenants. It would have been about Moses and the law. It would have been about Joshua, the judges, and David. It would have been their history. What the king said was, we can't just erase what they know, but we can replace it with what we want them to know instead. So he would try to change their education, and then he would change their language. They most likely spoke Hebrew. It was the language of their people. It's what they felt comfortable using with each other. It's the language they would have been taught in. It's the language they would have worshipped and prayed in. And now while learning a new language isn't in and of itself bad. Here, it was likely told to them that in order to succeed outside of the palace and civil life... It couldn't be done through Hebrew. So the incentive was there. The fear of failure may have been there. And this tactic was used specifically to eliminate the use of Hebrew, not to merely add an additional means of communication. And then he would change their diet and their exercise. They would eat the king's food. Because they lived in the palace, the king said that their diet would be what his diet was. This may seem like a small thing for us today because there are way too many diets to keep track of, and they seemingly change constantly. But for these Hebrew young men, they would have had a starkly different diet than the king of Babylon. His plan was to make these changes for three years, and then after three years have them serve in the palace. He believed that after just three years, however, of making these changes, he would have won this generation. But the changes didn't stop there. He would then change their loyalty, which is a very deep thing that we don't have time for here in this under 30-minute episode. He would require 
along the way that they no longer worship their God, the one true God. He would require that they worship him or that they worship the gods that his people prayed to and the gods that his people worshipped. But the last change was big. He would change their identification. All of these young men were given a name that meant something to their family, to their faith. They were names that spoke of thanksgiving to God, of worship to him. They had specific Hebrew meanings. It was a means of identity, not a source, just a means. But the king gave them names that had Babylonian meaning. They were names that paid homage and reverence to their gods. The reason why this change is so big is because names are the greatest identifying marker that we use for ourselves. Names mean something to us. But what the king was doing was changing how they identified themselves. Because if he could change how they identified themselves, who they were in his mind would have been at his disposal. He was trying to change their identity. Now, of these five things, can you honestly tell me that most, if not all of them, are not happening today? It's changed a little. It's fleshed out differently and more subtly, depending on a number of different environments and factors. But it's happening. And you know who it's happening to? It's not really happening to, quote, the greatest generation. It's not really happening to, quote, boomers. And it's not really happening all that much anymore to, quote, millennials but it's assuredly happening to Gen Z. And this is not in any way an indictment of that generation. Because, let's be honest, the ones who are influencing that are some of the older generations. So it's not just me being a crotchety old head, disgruntled about younger kids. I'm feeling for them because when their identity is challenged, changed, and chucked aside, we are one generation from our identity meaning absolutely nothing. Identity is so important. Who we are matters. But here's where we are. Who gets to decide our identity? Is it determined by society? By family? By race? Maybe by socioeconomic status? And it is emphatically none of those things. And this will be an abridged repetition and summary of a previous episode entitled, Who is Jesus? Because if we want to understand who we are, we need to understand who he is. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I encourage you to go back and do so as you are able. The creator dictates the purpose of the creation. The creator dictates the purpose of the creation. So in order for us to understand our identity, we need to understand that it's not up to anyone else but the creator to determine what it is and who we are. God, who is the all-powerful creator of all things, spoke the universe into existence with the word of his power, but took the time and the care to make humans with his hands. He is the only one that gets to decide who we are. And for what purpose we exist. And in our Western world, in our modern society, in our independence-focused mindset, we can't bear to imagine that anyone gets to own that other than us. We are grossly offended by that statement. 
But the reality stands that because he created us, he gets to authoritatively dictate who we are. Any delineation of that identity and that purpose is going to be, at the very least, at the bare minimum, it's going to be a slight distortion from its original designed intention. He made us and designed us in a specific way. Understanding our identity starts with knowing who he is. Because our identity is instinctively attached to him. So based on that foundation, who are we? What does the creator say about us? And now this brings a shift for us. Because since our identity is instinctively attached to him, who we are exists in relation to him. Our identity does not exist apart from him. Anytime God speaks of our identity, it is always in connection to him. And this is where we zoom in on this shift. Where we are about to head next is primarily and almost exclusively for Christians, for followers of Jesus. But if you have chosen to join us on this episode and you would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you would not consider yourself a Christian, would you do me a favor? Would you listen to the remainder of this episode and maybe let that longing to learn more about what it would mean to have a relationship with Jesus, let that longing stir up in you. This is not where we emphatically draw battle lines and aggressively separate because of differences. This is where we lovingly and graciously lean in, seeking to understand. I cannot overstate this. There is an instinctive and an intrinsic value, nobility, and respect attached to all humans. That only exists because the creator made it that way. And I want to say that again for the people in the back. There is an instinctive and intrinsic value, nobility, and respect attached to all humans that only exists because the creator made it that way. So not being a Christian does not mean for a single moment that you lack value or worth. Don't let anybody tell you that because it's not true. What is true is that our identity is tied to our creator. And so when God speaks of our identity, it's connected to him. For the Christian, he is the vine, we are the branches. He is the shepherd, we are his sheep. He is the bridegroom, and we are his bride. And my favorite, he is a father, and we are his children. It's from the latter that we'll find a framework for understanding who we are. God, as a father, gives us our identity. And from that identity flows our activity. Here's the thing. If we get that mixed up, father, identity, activity. If we get that mixed up, if we do father, activity, identity, here's what we find. We find a life of legalism. One that says if we do what the father says, if we act in a way that pleases him, then our identity will be favorable. But if we do identity, father, and then activity, we tell God that who we say we are matters more than who he is. And the idea of, quote, our truth unjustly reigns over 
his truth. But if activity comes first, it emphasizes that what we do is equal with or more important than who we are and ultimately who he is. And don't we fall into that sometimes? We get around people that we've not met before and we introduce ourselves. And almost every single time, the next one or two questions that follow are, what do you do? Now, it's not a bad question, right? It's a fair question, isn't it? We're asking people how they spend their time. What are they investing in? What are they building? But we ask that because it is common in our society that our identity, who we are, has somehow become attached to what we do for a living. So we have to get this right. It's paramount for understanding our identity. We are who God says we are. He knows me like no one else knows me. He knows me better than anyone else knows me. It's why not even I am at liberty to decide who I am on my own. And that in it of itself is beyond countercultural. That is beyond normal for us. That's anything but normal. But remember, we are the ones who along the way changed what it was intended to be. It's why I cannot let you or any other human being, agency, or organization determine who I am. It's why society does not get to dictate my value and worth. My race, my bank account, my family history, my upbringing, they are not me. Now, they describe me. They are parts of me, but they are not who I am. It's why my triumphs do not define me any more than my failures do. My failures are not who I am. My weaknesses are not who I am. My strengths are not me. My insecurities are not me. My self-confidences are not me. I am exactly who God says that I am. Now, while in my life that gets fleshed out differently than yours, who I am is not up to us. And who I am stands in direct correlation to and flows in direct connection with who he is. I want to give you two reasons why it's important to understand these. Two reasons why it's important to understand that who we are stands in connection to who he is. Not just for understanding our identity, but our purpose as well. They are clear, straightforward, one-sentence dissertations as to why we were created. That our identity is connected to him. We were created, first statement, we were created to worship and glorify God. Second statement, we were created for relationship with him. That's it. That's our identity. Our identity is wrapped up in the worship of the one that created us. And our identity is connected to a personal, intimate, growing relationship with him. In other words, you are a worshiper and you are a relater. If one or both of those statements throws you off and makes you feel any kind of untowardness, this is not in any way my personal 
or this podcast's opinion about who you are. This is God's declaration of who you are. And this is God's declaration of why you exist. The creator dictates the purpose of the creation. And anything that we claim to be in our lives, any quote, why that we give ourselves that exists outside of these two things, it is at the very least, at the bare minimum, a slight distortion for the designed intention. Here's where we all often find ourselves. What we feel, we understand about our giftings, our desires, our plans, our dreams. And we say, this, this is me. We think we know better than the infinitely wise, all-powerful creator of the universe. Our identity and purpose is interestingly void of all chaos. It is void of all struggle. It's void of all tragedy. Because nobody sets out wanting those things. But we have to remember that it's not up to us. We don't get to decide that. And we can't forget that. And on the next episode, I want to spend some time talking about why getting our identity right matters so much. Like, what does getting this right do for us? And maybe you listen to this episode and you would be in the category of someone who, well, you're not a Christian. You would not consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus. And as you've listened, you have questions. That's a good place to be. I want to encourage you to reach out. And in just a moment, I'll let you know some ways that you can do that. Maybe you've listened and you're there. You are a follower of Jesus, but along the way you've adopted and adapted to and approved as greater some of these lesser identities and purposes than what God has set out. Maybe this episode has served as a reminder for you. Tell me about that. I'd love and be encouraged to hear it. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, tell me about it. There are a few ways that you can connect with me. By email at remindersofgracepodcast at gmail.com. That's reminders with an S of gracepodcast at gmail.com. In addition, you can find a link to my socials in the info section of this episode. Also, if you could please do me a favor and be sure to leave a review and then click on that subscribe or follow button wherever you engage with the podcast to be certain that you never miss an episode. And as you head into your week, as you navigate through your journey, as you face whatever you face or as you seek to live on mission, be reminded of his grace and know that no matter what, It is always, every single time, greater still.